16 million colors. Make some havoc in your head. Welcome to Titancast, your home for Sega Saturn news, commentary, personal stories, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Samuel, otherwise known as the Southern Sega Gentleman, SSG for short. Next up, we have the man from Manchester, our patron saint, Father K, or Simon, if you'd like. Last but not least, we have our West Coast correspondent, Virtual Sub, the man himself, Brian. All right, today we figured that we were going to go ahead and get started with uh, how we got introduced to the Sega Saturn and how, after its short lifetime, we kept up the spirit, we kept up the life, and we kept fighting on. And, and eventually we found ourselves here in 2017 starting up this nice little, well, rebirth of sorts of the Saturn Junkyard. So with that being said, I figured we'd kind of veer over to our founder, the Lord himself, the man from Manchester, Father K. Hello there. Hi. What exactly brought you to the Sega Saturn way back in 1994 or so? Okay, I'd had a Mega Drive or a, a Genesis, um, as it's known, and I really enjoyed playing different games on that, the kind of Double Dragon stuff and, um, I don't know, Shinobi and so on. But I also really loved my Sega Golf, so I bought a Saturn because my Mega Drive had died and I wanted a, a next generation console. And that's what led me to the Saturn was, was playing golf on the Mega Drive, believe it or not. So, so what, what do you think was probably the, the main game that, that, that you played constantly whenever that console was actually in relevance? Well, the main game for me was, well, there was two in fact, uh, the ones that I got with the console, which were, Virtua Fighter, and I also got Sega Rally. And anyone who, who's played Sega Rally will know that once you've played that, once you have to play it again and again and again. So Sega Rally was my definite, definite game that sealed the Saturn for me. It sealed it in my heart, and it's kept there. And it's a game that I still play to this day. All right, so, you know, we all sit here, and in the late 90s, you know, Sega of America and Sega of Japan were up on this completely different wavelength. They didn't know what the hell was going on with each other. There was there was no internal communication, and if there was any communication, it was just insanity, really. Um, so, with the demise of the Saturn in the late 90s, the rise of the Dreamcast, did, did you just stick with the Saturn, or did you move over to the next consoles, or did you even privy over into, like, the Sonys and the Nintendos? Okay, there was uh, a bit of a conflict going on in my house because although I had the Saturn, I had two sons that were desperate to get a PlayStation. So the Christmas after I bought my Saturn, we found a, say, a Sony PlayStation under the tree. And um, that then became the console that was under the TV in the living room. And we only had one TV in those days, so the Saturn kind of got shelved in our house for a little bit. And then there was no Dreamcast. We bought a PS2 because of the DVD function. I was one of those terrible, terrible people that helped to kill the Dreamcast. I didn't get a Dreamcast till 2004. So there's a confession straight off the bat from somebody who, who writes on the Dreamcast junkie. Lord Jesus. Oh. All right. So <laughs> what do you think you can, about you that, You can Brian? scratch that if you uh, want. <laughs> you know what? I mean, yeah, Simon, you're part of the problem. But, you know, in many ways, I think we all were in our own way. 
Everybody, <laughs> we, we all wanted DVD players, and it was the cheapest one. You know, what were you going to do? Well, I, I, I'll say from my standpoint, you know, I got into the, I got into the Saturn, and, you know, I was a latecomer to the whole process. I mean, I was still young. There wasn't a whole lot of money up in the household. So, you know, we got what we could when we could. And, you know, my, my Saturn was a used one. But I will say this in my defense before I can actually tell my story. I was one of the guys in 99 who got a Dreamcast. But at the same time, I also dropped a little bit of cash and got me a PS2 up in 2000. So, I mean, I'm not the best example, but at least I had a Dreamcast. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think it's good that we, we're purging ourselves tonight and we're, we're all coming out with a little bit of shame that perhaps we've carried around with us for too long. I have to say, though, that I kept my Saturn throughout those uh, PS1 days and throughout the PS2 days. I, I kept my Saturn. It was one console that I bought around launch time that I, I kept and I, <clears throat> I never got rid of it so that I actually had... Um, when I got interested in the Dreamcast and bought almost the entire library, uh, the UK library, at the same time that you could buy many, many Dreamcast games for about £2.50, which I guess would be about five bucks at the time, we also uh, had stands and stands of Saturn games for sale, and they were going for even less than that. They would were, they were probably retail at about a pound or £2 for each one. So, at the same time as I was, I was building up my Dreamcast collection, I was also bring, building up quite a sizable Saturn collection. And um, that's perhaps what, what gave it a second birth for me in around about 2006, I think. I think that was when I had my uh, inspiration to start the Saturn Junkyard. So, I've had maybe three stages of Saturn. Love 1996, 2006, and and then again 2000. Uh, sorry, 2016, 2017. I've had three stages. All right. So 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 Brian, um, you know, you're you're like me. You're an American, and, and I take it you've been out from the West Coast for the most of your life. I mean, granted, Seattle and Washington, that entire part of the country is just, it's a central hub of so much. I mean, you've got Microsoft there, you've got Nintendo there, uh, and the retro scene is insane there today. But what exactly got you involved? I mean, I I take it you were a Sega fan before the Saturn, but were you uh, an early comer to the Saturn or a late bloomer of sorts? Uh, Yeah, certainly the latter. Um, So... Speaking of Sega in general, I think I came of gaming age around the time that Sonic the Hedgehog and and the Genesis or or Mega Drive were popular. So, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Sonic 1 and 2 and 3 and Knuckles and all of those. And I played those quite a bit, uh, I don't know, when I was, you know, like 8 or 9. But then um, I actually missed out on the Saturn. I'm kind of the opposite uh, of Simon here where I actually didn't get a Saturn until way later, maybe like the mid 2000s, I picked one up in an eBay lot. Um, the irony though, is I had a Dreamcast. I, I, you know, just like, just like you, Sam, I was uh nine, nine 99. I was like right there for the launch. So I saved up my money all summer to, to get a copy of uh, Sonic Adventure and a VMU along with my console. So I actually had quite a bit of uh, love and uh, nostalgia for the Genesis and the Dreamcast uh, well before I ever, um, got a Saturn but 
But the Saturn I was pretty interested in when it came out, particularly Knights and all of the uh, arcade, um, you know, classics that uh, that had been ported over. Um, so I was always intrigued and, and wanted a Saturn, but I, you know, at, that, at least at that time, um, it would be a, another 10 years or so before I would eventually pick one up. Um, but uh, certainly once I did, I, you know, I think I made up for lost time uh, pretty handily by uh, uh, just getting as many of uh, the classics or at least the affordable ones as I could. Um, and I, yeah, I just love that system. Uh, and to this day, I, you know, I still uh, just love collecting for it. And I think even though I don't really have the nostalgic attachment to the Saturn like I did with the other two, um, I think I like it just as much, um, you know, about as much as the Dreamcast. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people are drawn to that whole nostalgia aspect of it. I mean, I, I know countless people who have wanted me to get get together with them, get their consoles back up and running, or they just picked up a, a, a crap console somewhere at a pawn shop or something. And that's where I see a lot of people at. I mean, like I was talking about with me, you know, the mid-90s, I, that, that, I, I can't say I was nostalgic enough during, you know, looking back on it. But at the time period, I mean, all my friends were Nintendo. Everybody was Nintendo. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nintendo of America had the United States on lock until Sony come around. But whenever it came to me, I was the outlier. I was the guy who had the Genesis. Everybody come over to my house to play the Genesis. And, you know, with the rare exception of, you know, some kind of title that was specific, like F-Zero or something like that, you know, everybody wanted to come over and hear what was going on with the Genesis because it was a it was a different game it always was so whenever the Saturn came around we were not a situation for me to be able to get a Saturn at launch uh there was no way it was going to happen and Sony even though there was commercials all over the place I never really bought into the whole Sony thing yeah my friends had them and everything but it, it was the new guy on the block I didn't know nothing about him you know, there was Crash Bandicoot, and there was a couple of other games, but everything that I saw in the magazines was always on the Saturn. There was, there was a whole bunch of ports. So, whenever it came, I think it was 1997, yeah, 1997, I picked up the Saturn, okay? And I picked it up used, and we had that bulky, just stupid-looking controller, but we didn't know any better, man. I loved that controller back in the day, and... My first game was actually Resident Evil, okay? And it was right after it come off. And that instilled my love for Resident Evil. That game scared the living hell out of me with the choppy blocks and everything else going on. And I can remember I, I could not defeat the snake. I can't tell you how many weeks went by. I kept trying to kill the snake, kept trying to kill the snake. And then my buddy who had it on the PS1 said, dude, you don't even got to kill the snake. Just run over to the hole up in the back, grab the little emblem, and then run out the room. And I was like, are you serious? Because <laughs> in, my, in my brain, I was like, dude, the door's got to be locked or something. And, and seeing how, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, that was the only game I had for the longest time. Uh, I think the next game I got was actually, uh, it was um, SimCity. And everybody, all both of y'all know my love for SimCity, and everybody else is probably going to put me up on a cross for it. But that was my game, man. I mean, we played it at school on the computers, and then I got to come home and play it, and it was just it was just mind-blowing. Not to mention I could put little statues of Sonic all over the place. So that was cool as hell. Yeah, that's know? a nice touch. Yeah, exactly, man. And yeah, whenever it came time for the Dreamcast, I wasn't a 9999er because I did not have that kind of change back in the day. But wasn't that crazy expensive so for christmas that year i actually got it as a gift oh, and cool. to be honest with you i didn't have but like 
I think I had uh, I had Crazy Taxi, I had Jet Grind Radio, which is Jet Set Radio for the rest of the world, and I picked up Shinmu later on. And those are like the only three games I had for probably until 2003-2004. I mean, but for me that that time was was especially for Sega. I mean, yeah, eventually I picked up a PS2, but I never really got into the whole PS2 dynamic. I think I might have picked up like five or six games, but like a lot of people, like Simon was talking about, I used it as a DVD player. That was pretty much it. Yeah. You know, um, I kept my Saturn around, but the, the, the bad, the thing is, is that in the mid 2000s, I kind of went through some really rough times and I got rid of God amount of stuff in my Saturn and all in my collection, which at that point was probably about 30, 40 games. It, it went with it too. It wasn't until I got in the late 2000s back into, you know, actually getting into gaming because there was like a two-year period there. I didn't even game. So I had to pick stuff back up, and it was like starting off from scratch. I mean, I had I had my PS2 still. I had my Sega Dreamcast. But with the exception of that, I think I had nothing except the current gen at that point. So I, for me, it was kind of a, a really, really high point, and then it just kind of bottomed out. And now, well, not now. I've got plenty of stuff now, but probably about 2010 to 12 was complete rebuild mode. So, I think it's uh, kind of significant that my third son was born in 1997. So by the time we had three little kids running around the house, my gaming time was very much reduced, and, and that's going to be my excuse for not having a Dreamcast and not even not even knowing about the launch date. I had three three kids at that point, so, right. so that's that's what right. I'm saying, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah, well, plus launch day in Europe, I don't think was quite as catchy as the nine nine ninety nine that we had. No. no, it wasn't. It wasn't. And you know what? As well, the other thing is, um, <clears throat> I was going to say on the. Uh, on the Nintendo, from, we, we didn't have Nintendo in the UK, particularly until the N64. You could get a, a, an NES or a SNES, uh, but we, we didn't really know about them. For us, it was the Master System and yeah. the, the Mega Drive. Yeah. So Sega had a massive foothold in, in Europe that it didn't have in, in uh, the... So, sorry, that Nintendo didn't have. And um, it was a shame and, and a surprise when Saturn didn't catch on i mean i know we had all the issues with the game development and so on um but sega had so much of a good base in europe and could have capitalized on that so much with the saturn and it didn't it, its launch and its advertising in the uk weren't perhaps as uh, as bad as it was in the us but but you know the saturn wasn't a big console it wasn't well known over here in the uk uh, and to this day it's still not People, people over here. In fact, I, I, I was talking the other day about how when I bought my Saturn, I had to argue with the salesman. He was telling me that I should be buying a PS One, and um, he, he argued quite vociferously for some time about how wrong I was to be buying my Saturn. It's the only time I can ever think of that I've had to argue with a salesman to buy wow. something. Yeah, but, uh, yes. Yeah, and imagine that happening, you know, across however many stores across however many regions i mean that that salesperson influence can have a pretty dramatic impact on uh on console sales overall i mean especially at that point where the saturn is uh, at least in north america where the surprise launch um you know pretty much pissed off a lot of those retailers and so you know several of them refused to even carry the console throughout its lifespan 
yeah, th- 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 there's a there's a number of uh, of YouTube videos, high quality YouTube videos out there about people talking about the launch of the Sega Saturn. Uh, Monthly Gaming or something along the lines did a really good video on it, and just the amount of backlash from that early launch, and then on top of that, you had Sony coming right behind them, the very first E3, and basically, what was it, two ninety nine or one ninety nine, whatever the case was. I mean, their, their president just walked up to the podium and said, just said a number. And yeah, the crowd just erupted. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you think about it back then. I mean, what the the, the Dreamcast dropped at 199. I mean, it, at least Sega figured out the problems later on. I mean, that, that's what I was talking about to begin with. There was so much complications between. You had the 32X coming out. You had the Sega CD. You had, you know, Project Neptune in the works. You had all these different pro, you know, projects going on. All these different add-ons in the early 90s. And I mean, people were just burned out, dude. I mean, most of the people I knew, they didn't even want to touch Sega because of the fact of like, I remember for a while there, the the Sega CD was the big deal. If you had a Sega CD, that was, that was top notch. And it just, nobody wanted to do it. Cause I mean, dude, at that point, a Sega CD and a Genesis combination box was like almost $400. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there were all sorts of these you know, challenges and complications. And, you know, there are so many mistakes that Sega made that we could point to that, you know, if they did this, they could have had more success worldwide um, with a Saturn. But I mean, you know, I guess part of it, you know, the flip side of that is, uh, you know, why are we still playing it today? Like what what is it that's kind of kept it in our in our hearts and minds, uh, you know, 12 years after the or no, 22 years after the fact? Yeah, and, and that, that that that's exactly right. And, you know, getting to that, um, how about it, Brian? I mean, you talked about being a late bloomer and everything. I mean, you're talking about 2006, about whenever you finally got been back into it. So here we are, 2017, 11 years later, and you're playing it ferociously. I mean, your profile picture is you over at, you know, Port, you know, was it uh Portland Retro Gaming and you're behind oh, a yeah, massive yeah. Sega sign. I mean, what has kept that drive alive for you or has it is it kind of like you've rekindled something? Yeah, oh yeah, that was their PAX booth. Um no, you know what? I yeah, I feel like there's a combination of a lot of factors in there. Um I mean, what's unique with the Saturn for me though, just getting it so late, um it was, you know, I never really saw it for what I remembered. I mean, cause I was kind of going off a clean slate here. So for me, a lot of the fun is just exploring what it had to offer and kind of its interpretation of, of this early 3d, um, you know, style, uh, and you know, it's limit to it's, I mean, in some ways it's technical limitations, I think really played into the character of the console. Cause you could tell, uh, you know, so many of the developers for it, we're really struggling to to convey their vision in a way that you know was uh you know that was you kind of take for granted nowadays where where everything looks exactly like it's supposed to you can have games as big as you want they can run as smoothly as as they need for the most part um and so you know you kind of take a lot of those things for granted when you go back in time and look at the you know how developers and not not even just the saturn but um, you know, developers for all of those early 3D systems and how they were able to get really creative in managing, um, you know, that that those technical limitations and still building out their vision accordingly. Um, and, and in the process, creating, you know, a ton of new different types of games we would play and, and new interpretations of, of existing genres. 
Um, and the, But really, I mean, I think the Saturn was just kind of the little console that could in many ways because it was underpowered compared to uh, the PlayStation and the 64. Um, but nevertheless, I, I feel like that kind of just helped give it uh, even more charm in many ways. And it's fun to kind of look back nowadays and just see uh, what they were able to, to get out of it with uh, given those limitations. Yeah, you're talking about, you know, the, the PlayStation being the superior product. And, you know, in practicality wise, that, that's that's the truth. I mean, there's no there's no way around that. I mean, you can just look at I mean, Tomb Raider is a prime example of how the PlayStation can outperform the Sega Saturn whenever the Sega Saturn was the original console for the development phase. Um, and that, that's what really sucked about it was that Sega just threw this extra chip in at the last minute trying to be on par. And you look at it, I mean, we had we had to get almost the Burning Rangers before, you know, we actually had people who were capable of programming for this thing and doing something with it. I mean, prime example, yeah. back to Resident Evil, you, you look at the, the, the dithering effects whenever it comes to water and everything like that. I mean, it's just, it's not a clean picture. And if you really look at the hardware itself, it's capable of so much more. Yes, I did this awesome video in regards to, you know, the comparison before it. And they've got the, yeah. the quintessential Sega guy, the quintessential Nintendo guy. And I mean, even the Sega guy had to put it out there that, yes, on paper, the Sega Saturn is the better console. But in practice, the PlayStation beat it almost every single time. Right, yeah. This, the, de the developer friendliness of it. Just, you know, of uh, relatively simple hardware on the PlayStation pretty much made all the difference. And just given the fact that it was out on market for for a longer period, it gave developers, a, uh, you know, more time to, to kind of really push the, the system's limits uh, over several years rather than just the couple that, that the Saturn had. However, if I can chime in here, um, going back to the Saturn, which, which I have, now for the third time, uh, I'm discovering all of the 2D games that have actually stood the test of time oh, far yeah. better oh, yeah. than their 3D, um, you know, 3D brothers and sisters. Um, so for me, the biggest um, thrill about my third love, third stage love of the Saturn, is that in initially I, I only played a few games which you could play against um, a friend in your living room. So I played lots of Virtua Fighter, I played lots of Sega Rally, I played soccer games, golf games. I, I, I actually, there was a, a vast amount of the PAL um, library that I didn't ever explore. I, I never played things like Tomb Raider at the time. Um, you guys know that I had a love for Casper, which was a really um, <laughs> cheesy movie tie-in puzzle game. But but I, I sunk hours into that. I sunk hours into Clockwork Night. I sunk hours into... Um, into Panzer Dragoon, but but they were the only games I played. So there is a vast amount of of games, and particularly two D games now that I am exploring, and with the help of the Pseudo Saturn, which we'll come to uh, at a later time, I'm actually getting to play some classic Japanese games. I'd never played an import game before 2017, and um, I'm just discovering the thousand or so games that. Uh, are available to the to the Japanese market. So the world of the Saturn in 2017 has just opened up for me, and um, all of a, a lot of the games I ignored back in the day, 
I'm finding to be outstanding games, regardless of the fact that they're 20 plus years old. They are just outstanding games for any anyone who appreciates a video game. Like right now, I'm playing what you've just said, Sam, was your first game on, on the Saturn. I'm playing uh, Resident Evil and it is a masterpiece. I know it's not a 2D game. I'm playing King of Fighters. I'm playing... Um, Sexy Parodius, I'm playing um, some of the, the the amazing shmups that are there. I'm playing um, all of the Street Fighter games, which I'd never, ever, ever played. I was a virtual fighter man. I, I wasn't interested in 2D games at the time. 2D fighters to me looked retro and cheesy, but I'm now finding them to be the the, the games that have stood the test of time on the system. They, they don't look so old. They don't look so... Um, the, the the graphics still look great. The, the the artwork that was used at the time really really looks fantastic. So for me, it's 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 just a joy to be discovering the vast amount of games that I missed out on back in the day. That so that that's what's drawn me back in so heavily, and plus the community, which I guess we'll come to at, at another point as well. Right. And, you know, for me, at least, whenever it comes to getting back to it, like I was talking about with the rebuilding of my library, and that was everything from Sega Genesis all the way up to the PS3 at that time. I mean, for me, the biggest deal that brought me back was my interest in modifying consoles. It was getting in there. It was actually learning how these things work, trying to fix them, trying to make them do crazy things. And at that point, YouTube was still pretty. I mean, it wasn't small by any means. But it wasn't the juggernaut we see today. I mean, you couldn't just type in how to do this and automatically have a video, you know. So a lot of it came down to getting in these old retro forums and finding out that there was other people who actually enjoyed the same thing. Not just the aspect of gaming, but, you know, just working on these things. And I can remember uh, the very first mod chip I ever got that allowed me to open up that library because... At that point, the games were, I mean, we talk about inflated prices now. I mean, the, the prices were inflated back in 2010, 2011. I mean, some of the games that we talk about nowadays, like Blade, you know, uh, Burning Rangers and everything that are four or $500 for the United, you know, for the U.S. The NTSC version. I mean, even back then, they were still $120, $130, dollars I mean, and for a game at that point, which was 14, 15 years old or however long it would have been, I mean, that was ridiculous, dude. I mean, I could have dropped, I could have picked up seven or eight games up on the PS3 that were on discount at that point. So it was kind of just a priority thing for me. And once I was able to actually open these things up, work with the Saturn, work with the Dreamcast, you know, actually get into them and open like the article we had the other day. It was opening up that library is what it all boiled down to. And kind of like what you were talking about with the pseudo Saturn. And we can make a whole entire episode about all these possibilities with these old consoles, especially the Saturn itself now. But if it hadn't been for that ability for me to modify these things and actually get into them and play what I wanted to play instead of going through and picking up shovelware at pawn shops or whatever the case may be, I'd never be where I am today. You know, that community that it got built off of the web trying to figure out how to do things and figuring out that people love these games too. Because, I mean, we always think back, at least as the realm of social media and video, people think about the angry video game nerd and Nest the Punk and all of them guys. But really, truly, and honestly, way back when, it wasn't those guys. It was, you know, no name, whoever up on, you know, 
whatever web form you were using trying to talk to and trying to figure out something and there was no schematics there was no nothing you know that that's just what it boiled down to and i you know when i look back to the the sat the saturn junkyards webpage you see all these articles from back in 2006 2008 2010 all this stuff right there i mean y'all were doing it just like what i was doing all the way over here thousands of miles away so that tells you just how powerful this idea of gaming can be this community can be at least yeah for sure so um i'm a little curious simon you know you know because we're now uh doing this podcast for the saturn junkyard here in in 2017 um you know you you had mentioned earlier that you kind of came and went, you know, through waves, as I think we all kind of tend to do when we uh, go through our phases of, of playing a console incessantly for a period of time and then backing off and coming back to it. Um, what kind of inspired your, uh, you know, the I guess the resurrection of uh, the Saturn junkyard as it is right now? Okay, well, I was thinking about this today, and initially uh, when I, I wrote the Saturn junkyard, it was just blog now it's a blog and a facebook uh group which i'm going to come to in a second when i wrote the blog back in 2006 2007 and and i, I carried on doing it till about 2009 um it, it was nice that i had an outlet for all of my saturn thoughts uh, but the the response that you get when you're blogging can be very sparse you can get uh, you can sink hours into writing an article and researching it and grabbing the right images for it and so on. And you present that on a blog and the feedback that you get can be very limited. We did have a few loyal readers back in the day uh, that would comment and commentators, um, props to John Lee right now. Um, but then basically it, it was quite a, um, a solitary task and a thankless task just blogging. Now we have the um, Saturn Junkyard Facebook page as well. So the two things were launched concurrently and consecutively. The, the blog was resurrected first and the Facebook page was started immediately after. And the two things together have been, I guess, what's resulted in the podcast that we've got today because having a social media outlet as well as the blog has uh, allowed us to get lots and lots of feedback straight away to make connections straight away to, to to build a community straight away that that the blog on its own just didn't have so i think that the the thing that's made it explode um in the way that it has is is the is the community and i can only see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger because there are lots of people now independently of any of us here on, on the podcast that there are people communicating every day, sharing um, information about the Saturn, sharing actual yeah. physical discs sometimes, you know, sending peripherals through the post and all kinds of stuff. So so that's that's what's made it so, um, so encouraging and, and exciting for me is the fact that the Facebook page and the blog can run at the same time and we've all got an outlet to write articles and to draw people's attentions to thing on the blog but we actually have the immediate feedback and the uh, connection that we've got from the facebook page yeah and and certainly i mean a lot of the the posts and the threads that have come up from the community um are pretty engaging i mean i just i love checking uh 
the junkyard Facebook page every day and, and just, you know, seeing what else is, has come up as a topic of conversation or what somebody's posted is like their, you know, their recent finds or, or, you know, something they're trying to get more information on or, or just even reminiscing about a, an old game that, uh, you know, kind of gets people thinking about their experiences, uh, uh, you know, with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool tool for that, for sure. Um, and it kind of just helps, helps uh, foster itself as a, or foster the community and gives people opportunity to share uh, whatever, really whatever the hell's on their minds, which is, which is awesome. Um, I think we're, I, I just checked it. It looks like we're at a 243 members right now um, as of this recording. Yeah, and and that's within a, a matter of of weeks uh, of its starting. So yeah, I think I think it's it's going to be big. It's big already, as far as I'm concerned. Two hundred is massive. There's more feedback in two hundred people than I got in the entire time I ran the Dreamcast. Uh, sorry, the Saturn Junkyard in its first incarnation. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again. I, <laughs> I've actually. Um, enjoyed more feedback since we've been running the Facebook page than I had in the whole of the rest of the time I was blogging on the Saturn Junkyard. So it's been, the Facebook page has really made things much, much better. And and uh, I think it's what's got us all together right now. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of this all boils down to the fact, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of, in a way it's sad, but at the same time, it's just a reflection of reality. I mean, everything nowadays is so much geared towards immediate gratification, just immediate gratification. You know, back in the 90s, whenever we were doing this, I mean, you'd have to run down to the store to get a magazine or, you know, if you were lucky enough in the U.S. to have satellite or cable. And I mean, a lot of us back then were still running rabbit ears. I mean, you didn't you didn't have this immediate conversation about things you enjoyed. I mean, it just wasn't there now that fire can get can continue to be stoked you know before the saturn junkyard came around there was a youtuber by the name of uh sega lord x you know he's had some issues go down and you know currently he's not making videos anymore he's not even on he's not even on youtube anymore but he still has a facebook page and he he comes on there from time to time but i had to i had to actually see other people still interested in this stuff because i mean you look on YouTube, you look on whatever it is, you know, IGN or whatever the case may be, whenever you get your, your gaming fix from, and they're never, they're never talking about the old school stuff. It wasn't until just a couple of years ago that you really had this, this movement of retro and people started going back. And I think, I think a lot of it, at least for me, is a simple fact that a lot of these newer games, they don't have the same story. You have to be online. You have to be playing with somebody else. You know, if there is a story, it's, it's 10, 12 hours at max. That's like maximum. After that, you might as well just give it a rest because it's never going to happen. You know, things like Horizon Zero Dawn, The Last of Us, those story-driven games, I absolutely love them. Because it reminds me back to the 90s, in the early 2000s, whenever we had those games like Shinmu, like Skies of Arcadia, you know, going back to Fantasy Star, Final Fantasy, all these games that could keep me locked in. And then we also, like you were talking about, Simon, we had little quick pleasures and stuff like that, like my little thing with SimCity and your thing with, you know, uh, Casper and all. We just don't get that same kind of gaming experience yeah. anymore. It's just... It, I take it for it. Take it for this. You know, I'm, I'm a huge first person shooter fan 
and I am almost to the point of just being burned out on first person shooters because it's just a flood of you got to buy this. You got to buy this. If you want to actually compete online, you've got to spend 30, 40, 50, $60 just to get this. So you can actually, you know, it's pay to play, man. And, you know, I really enjoy the fact that I can drop, I can drop down however much money it is today. Or even back then I could drop down that 50, $60. And I knew I had a game, you know, I knew I had quality and, the, the whole community we've built up around Facebook and hopefully, you know, we can expand it even further. We can bring in more people. We can, we can make this into a tight knit Saturn community, which it's already blooming into. I mean, you're talking about the numbers. When I first joined up, we had like a hundred people. That was a month ago. We've, you know, we've doubled in size, tripled in size, you know, and, but that community is what keeps me going. You know, it's the people in it that continue to talk about games that I never even knew about. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I got a complete U.S. library. But there's still, count. I mean, the Japanese had over a thousand games. I mean, there is, and most of them are, you know, import friendly. I mean, you're playing Biohazard. You're playing the easier version of Resident Evil, I might have you. <laughs> but you're still playing it, man. And that's what, that, that's what it all boils down to, man. So... I don't know. Um, do either one of y'all have any like final thoughts, at least in regards to this first podcast? You know, I, I think we, I think we really hit some ground and, and made some points with some personal stories and everything. And, you know, how the system itself and how the community and what's basically been a resurrection has impacted us at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, you were kind of talking a little bit earlier about other YouTube channels and other uh, sites and Facebook pages that are kind of, you know, have helped uh, foster this resurgence of a retro culture. Um, and I think in many ways, you know, with your game sacks and, you know, Metal Jesus Rocks and, and all of those, um, what's really cool about those, uh, that type of content compared to ones that are trying to keep up with whatever's going on in modern times, so to speak, um, is that you could go back and watch some of these videos from a few years ago and they're just as relevant now. Like you're going to get just as much out of them, uh, you know, archive wise uh, and informational wise as you would, you know, uh, or a lot more so, you know, with this the Saturn and, and retro based content than um, you would with, you know, something that's trying to keep up with the, you know, the mo the next Ubisoft or Ubisoft uh, controversy or whatever. So, cause all that stuff is like, you know, it gets a lot of hits, but you know, nobody, it's not relevant after a day or two. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, Brian. And the other thing is as well that in watching videos about the Saturn by people like, you know, the GameSack people, Metal Jesus and, and so on, I've actually watched their programs now about the, the Genesis and about the Master System. So it's, it's led me further into retro gaming and further back uh, and, and it's uh, enabled me to discover quite a few games which were prequels to the ones I've enjoyed on the Saturn so you know it's 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 all good all good well good times I guess uh, so I guess this is kind of our uh, contribution in many ways to trying to help build out that culture specifically uh, for the Sega Saturn and uh, I'm happy to be on board all right everybody on behalf of myself, Father K, and Virtual Slub, I want to thank all of y'all for making it this far with us. Without y'all, this community wouldn't be anything. 
So if you are by some chance listening in on this podcast and you're not a member of the Facebook group, go to Facebook. You can find us by typing into the search bar, The Saturn Junkyard. You can also find us on Twitter and you can also find us on YouTube. Now, if you want to actually see our blog, you can go to Blogspot. You can find that at thesaturnjunkyard.blogspot.co.uk. Again, from all of us here at the Junkyard, this is us signing off. Okay, goodbye, everyone. See ya.